Okay, we're going to progress right along in our study of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at 18 verses here. We're going to talk about the suffering son. Of course, that's Jesus. So um, after giving us an introduction concerning the supremacy of Christ, he's going to start off with what is his first admonition. Now, remember I told you that this letter was written to Jewish believers who were thinking about cashing it in, who were thinking about going back to Judaism because of the severe persecution that they were facing and giving up on the faith. Now, you say, well, George, we're not Jewish believers. Yeah, you're right, you're not Jewish believers, but you are believers. And, you know, and as I have pastored through the years, I have found people that when they go through a tough time, when the unbelievable happens in their life, and what I mean by unbelievable is is they face some sort of circumstance that is just, I can't believe I'm going through this. A terrible circumstance. They're ready to give up on their faith, and some of them have. And I have, and you have known people that and maybe at one time we're strong in their faith and they love Jesus, and but then something tragic happened. Maybe a death, maybe a divorce, maybe something like that. And then they're like, "Okay, I'm done. I don't understand this. Why? Why is this stuff happening to me?" And then they're done, and they're like, "And if you talk to them now, their attitude's like, well, hey, life's a lot better now.'" You know what I'm saying? I'm doing a whole lot better now than when I had that Jesus thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? And and you don't know how to answer them. Right? You don't know how to answer them. And so the reality is is that this letter was written to that type of thing. So we all can relate. And, And you know what? You can all be there too. Let me write this down on the side. Here's the thing about tragedy and terrible circumstances. It will either draw you closer to God or draw you away. Tragedy and terrible circumstances will either draw you closer to God or draw you away. And, and let me just be honest with you. Can, can, let's, let's just be flat out realistic. Nobody is exempt from terrible circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody is exempt from terrible circumstances. Nothing can can keep you insulated from the problems of this life. And it'll either draw you to God or draw you away. Period. And so you just need to realize that. So he's going to give his first admonition here. Uh, together as we look at this, and we're going to just going to go through section by section. So I want you to start with me. We're in chapter two of Hebrews. We're going to look at his first admonition in verses one to four. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, 
How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Okay, so what's he talking about here? First of all, there's a caution. If you look with me at verse 1, he gives us a caution here. So what is he doing? The writer calls his readers to give heed to the teachings that they have heard. So the first thing he's going to do is, is for you and I as the reader, for those believers back then as readers, you and I need to pay attention to what we already have heard and known. That just seems like, okay, well, so I'm supposed to pay attention. No, no, he's giving us a warning here. He wants us to understand something, and he's going to talk about the importance of you paying attention to what you hear and are taught. Because here's what we'll do. How many of you remember what class was like in high school? How many of you remember what you were taught? Do you remember? Can you can you can you recite a certain topic in history class? Do you remember exactly what the professor told you that day? How many of you know? Teacher, excuse me. You can tell I've been to college. Did what the teacher said that day? I can't. I maybe remember something stupid that happened among the students, but I don't remember anything that a teacher said. Unless I remember being yelled at, okay? And that happened, okay? Do, do you know what I'm saying? So we don't, so what happens is, is we, we enter into this, okay, so how many of you are at work and you gotta go through training at work? Okay, how many of you are at work, you gotta go through training at work, okay? How many remember your last training session? What the instructor said? No, but you remember lunch. Do, do you, know, you remember where you ate lunch? And you might remember the conversation at lunch with your buddies, but you don't remember nothing about the training session. That's because in our culture we've reduced that down to that's insignificant and what really matters is the stuff in between, right? Here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to us. You need to pay attention to what you've been taught because what you've been taught is far more significant than anything you could think of in your life. Because, right, therefore, he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus. That's significant. The Savior you've committed your life to, that's significant. You need to pay attention to that. Okay? You need to pay attention to the teachings you've heard. Why? Here's why. This is why it's so important. If they don't pay attention, they will drift away. In fact, above those words, they write you in both, both, in both places. In your notes, above where it says they, write the word you. So have it say this. If you don't pay attention, you will drift away. Folks, here's the reality. You want to know what it is about how to be committed in your relationship with Jesus and how to walk with him? Pay attention to what you've been taught. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't pay attention to the truths that you have been taught, 
that you have been shown concerning who Jesus is, concerning what he did for you, what he calls you to. If you don't pay attention to that, sooner or later, you're going to what? Drift away. You're going to drift away from your faith. You're going to, and then when, when those terrible circumstances do happen, and will they happen, folks? Yeah. What will happen then? You'll drift away from God rather than draw close to Him. So this is what he's trying to say. This is the first admonition to them. Look, you've been taught, pay attention, because if you don't pay attention, guess what's going to happen? You're going to drift away. So, okay, think about it in your mind. Think about a time when you drifted away. I think all of us can think of a time, right? Okay? Think about a time when you drifted away. Were you paying attention? No, because the things of God and the things of Christ really weren't that important to you at all. So is it any wonder? Hey, it, there's a, this principle is universal. What do you mean? So think about it at work. How, how many of you at work have had to go for, quote, re-education, just simply to reinforce, not because they thought you were dumb, but be, well, maybe they did think you were dumb, uh, you know, but because they, they, they wanted you to be reinforced in what you already knew, and you saw it was worthless, but they wanted to, quote, retrain you in what you already knew, for a purpose, because they know if you're not retrained, you're going to slough off in that area and cut corners. And when you cut corners, then eventually you're going to what? Mess up. So business understands that concept, right? Now, you know what I'm talking about? It's the same thing here. If you don't pay attention to the teaching, you're going to drift away. Here's what else he says. The message spoken to the by angels, because that next verse there, verse 2, he says, message spoken by, what, what, what message spoken by angels? Well, here it refers to the Old Testament law. It refers to Moses receiving the law. And so what he's going to do is, he's talking about this message, the law, the Old Testament law, which we don't live under and never have lived under, okay? Here's what he says, the law is binding in that every transgression will be rewarded. Rewarded, what does that mean? Well, the reward for a transgression was what? Punishment. Okay? Punishment. So, the writer asks, okay, so if that's the Old Testament law, that when we did wrong or we drifted, we would be punished? He asks a question now that should shake you. Here's the question. The writer asks, how will we escape if we ignore the great salvation? <gasps> remember now, he's talking to people who are talking about walking away. Alright, so remember that. He's talking about people who are walking away. So he's saying to them, how will we escape if we ignore the great salvation that Christ has given to us. How are we going to escape? If, if the reality is, is that under the law, people were rewarded and punished for their transgressions, then how about us when we're offered this great salvation and we even embrace it for a moment and we decide to chuck it and say hello, 
I'm going to do my own thing now. How are we going to escape punishment? You're not. Because you've ignored what? The greatest offer of salvation. The greatest forgiveness. Do you know what I mean? How, how, how are we going to escape? You're not going to escape. You're not going to escape. All right, let's go on. Here's the message of salvation. Just so you understand what this great salvation is. The message of salvation was spoken by the Lord and witnessed by those who heard him. So it's not like, so what we did is, is this is a message he's trying to point out to us. This was a message that was spoken by Jesus himself and witnessed by the apostles and the many witnesses. First Corinthians will tell us, First Corinthians 15, that were over 500 who saw him at one time resurrected, who were witnessed by many. Okay? He goes on here, the message was validated by the Holy Spirit through miracles. Which he still does to this day. I'll just be honest with you. How do you know that, George? Well, you know what? You just have to travel outside of the United States and go somewhere else. China doesn't have a medical system like we do. When you're in the village and you get sick, and especially if you're a Christian, you got to pray for God to heal you. And God heals. God, God still works today. Now, he doesn't, I don't believe in healers, but I believe God still heals. You say, well, why don't we see that in America? Because I don't think we believe he works that way. The message was validated by the Holy Spirit. So, here's what I want you to see is, he's saying, this message, how can we ignore it? Because if you ignore it, how are you going to escape the judgment? Okay? So then he goes on, it just automatically, because we're talking about this message, you and I need to be reinforced about the message, so he gets off into now talking about, in verses 5 through 18, the suffering son, because that's where we got to understand the message here. So look with me, verses 5 through 18. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to the angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him, that you have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hand, who have put all things in subjection under his feet? For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom all are, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who have been sanctified are all of one, 
for which reason he is not ashamed to be called, to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of bond, fear of death, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Okay, so let's look at this, the suffering son. First of all, the humility and glory of the son. Angels will hold no authority in the coming age. So first thing he points out, again, angels angels are simply servants of God. They have no authority, all right? So they have no authority in the coming age. He points out the humiliation of Jesus. Jesus assumed a position lower than the angels in the incarnation. Can anybody think of anything lower than a baby? When did he become a baby? We celebrate every year when? December. The birth of Jesus. How helpless can you be? Uh, can you think of anything more helpless than a baby? Can a baby fend for itself? Can a baby feed itself? Can a baby change itself? You wish it could change itself, but it can't. Okay? Alright? So he's talking about Jesus here. He's lower than the angels. Alright? In the incarnation. But Jesus was exalted by God the Father, and everything is subject to him. So again, the reality is, is that, you need to understand, everything is going to be subject to Jesus Christ. But the writer points out something that all of us are aware of. What's that? Currently, believers don't see everything in subjection to him. Is everything in subjection to Jesus right now? Is it? I don't know. Did you turn on your news and everybody's talking about how great Jesus is? No. Everything is not in subjection to Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing. Isn't it interesting because you, you hear people and they say, oh, we're so afraid of the church because they're going to bring about a theocracy. How many of you heard that? A theocracy. What does that mean? That means a, a country where religion is in charge. Okay? First of all, anybody who advocates that in a church is whacked out. Why? Because currently nothing is in subjection to him. One day it will be when he establishes it. There's no way you're going to establish it. Okay? So if, the, if somebody in the church says that, they're nuts. And if somebody outside the church says that, they're ex- especially nuts because they don't understand that nothing is going to be in subjection. Because currently we do not see everything in subjection to him. But here's what we do see. We do see Jesus crowned with glory 
Because he tasted death for everyone. He tasted death. And specifically what it's referring to there is, is he didn't just taste death because you say, well, everybody dies. Yeah, but does everybody rise from the dead? Does everybody rise from the dead, is resurrected from the dead, and is glorified? No, he's the firstborn, meaning what? The one who dies and who is raised from the dead in his glory. That's the firstborn. And we are going to be like him, okay? We do see Jesus crowned with glory because he tasted death for everyone. Here's the other thing. The Creator brought many to glory through the perfection of his Son through suffering. All right, let's stop for a moment. So because Jesus died on the cross and suffered for us, he, the writer of Hebrews is saying that many will see glory. What does that mean? We'll see the resurrection. Who's the many? Who's the many, guys? Yeah, us. Here's the thing now. The word perfect refers to Jesus' perfect position before God the Father. So when you look at verse 10, when it talks about perfect here, it's talking about his perfect position before God the Father. Now, here's Jesus' relationship with you. Now, some of you need to grasp this, and we see this in verses 11 through 13. Jesus identifies himself with those he has made holy and calls them brothers. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You could throw the word sisters in there too, ladies. Okay? The fact of the matter is, is he's talking about Jesus who makes us holy. How does he do that? Through this salvation. Calls us what? Brothers and sisters. Now, that's really a term of what? Intimacy, right? Intimacy. That means we have a close connection to him, right? Okay? So Jesus himself is saying here, Jesus is the one who's speaking here as the writer writes this. He's saying that we are his brothers, or add the word sisters there, okay? So he's talking about that intimacy there. All right, so he goes on. Jesus became human like us so that through his death he would destroy the power of Satan. So he's talking about what was accomplished on the cross there. He became human like us that through his sacrifice on the cross he would break the power of Satan. Because do you realize who the God of this world is? Who's the God of this world, folks? Satan. You need to understand that. The God of this world is Satan. When Adam and Eve sinned, they gave dominion of this world. They lost that responsibility and that power over this world and gave it to who? Satan. That was broken through the cross. Okay? So Satan doesn't have any power over you. Do you understand? Because that was broken through the cross. So do you understand that? So don't get freaked out by the next horror flick you see. Don't think you just sold your soul to the devil or whatever. That doesn't happen if you're a believer because he has no power over you. I saw that many times in Haiti. What do you mean? In Haiti, they're a culture that is based on voodooism. 90% of, of Haiti sell, is, participates in voodoo. And that is 
where they manipulate demons and so forth. And, and they'll put curses on each other and things like that. And I said to the one pastor, the head of this one group, I said, well, don't you guys fear that? He said, no, because it has no effect on us. I've seen it have an effect, the pastor said, on others, but they're unbelievers. But on believers, the Haitians know that it has no effect on believers. Why? Because we're Christians. Satan has no power over us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? See, you need to grasp that. And I'll hear Christians say, oh, the devil's been working hard on me. Really? You just spoke your ignorance. Because the only thing he can do is accuse you and tempt you and lie to you. He can't do anything else unless God allows him. He can't touch you unless God allows him. So don't say that kind of thing because you're just expressing your what? Ignorance of what you should know better about. Okay? What you should know better about. So here's what he's saying. Jesus became a human like us, that through his death he would have the power to destroy the power of Satan. Okay, let's go on now. Here's what he says. This is the purpose of the incarnation. He did this so that he would be, he would, get rid of the word be there, okay? I must have been not well when I wrote this sentence, okay? He did this so that he would free those who were in bondage to the fear of death. All right, let's stop for a moment. There is a universal fear among humanity. Anybody know what it is? Almost everybody struggles from it. Yeah. Even you might have that fear. Even you might have that fear of dying or a loved one dying. Don't we all hate death? Don't we all hate death? And it's a universal thing, because like even when you go through the Bible, like when you go to Isaiah and you see Hezekiah and he's told he set his house in order, he's going to die. What's the first thing Isaiah Hezekiah does? Lord, can I have more years? Can I live just a little bit longer? Now, let me just stop for a moment. I think everybody here wants to go to heaven, right? Do you want to go today? Yeah, no, but that, if, no, I mean, if we're realistic, we all want to go to heaven, but if you really thought about it, we don't necessarily want to go today. Because you say, well, if it's a rapture, I'll go. Yeah, if Jesus is coming, yeah, okay. But if the rapture's not coming, who wants to leave early? Do you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to die. So there's a universal fear of dying. And so here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He died on the cross, breaking the power of Satan, so that you and I would be free from the what? The bondage of fear. And let me just stop for a moment. I, You know, I've been, as a pastor, I've... I and sometimes are there with folks who are dying. Okay? And I'm going to be honest with you. There is a difference between those who die with Jesus and those who die without Jesus. 
And, and, and I mean that. Because if they're truly believing in Christ in there, and that's where their hope is, there's a difference between that person and the person who, and I can't go any further. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen it. And I've seen those without Christ holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on, because they have nothing else. No hope. And they don't die in peace. See, what happens is, is this great salvation, here's what he's talking about, this great salvation, Jesus, who calls us his brothers and sisters, this Jesus who broke the power of Satan, what, he breaks the bondage of the fear of death over us. Do you understand what I'm saying? He breaks the bondage of the fear of death over us. He goes on. Let's go on. He did this not for angels, but for the descendants of Abraham. And you say, well, I'm not Jewish. Well, Paul tells us that we're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're, you're a spiritual descendant. Why? Because you were brought into the fold. Okay? He did this, not for the angels, but for you and I who are believers. Okay? The writer of Hebrews says. So then, he's our high priest. Again, you're going to see this throughout the book of Hebrews. He's going to talk about Jesus as the high priest. Jesus had become human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Alright, let's stop for a moment. Some of you need to underline the word merciful. Well, it's already underlined because you had to fill it in. Put a circle around the word merciful and put a circle around the word faithful because you need to understand that because you maybe you view yourself in terms of the things that you're doing wrong and you think God doesn't accept you and God doesn't love you and how could he love you because you did this. I need you to understand that if you have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ with your life, you need to understand that in his relationship with you, he's already told us that he sees us as brothers, right, and sisters. That's intimacy there. The next thing I need you to understand is, is that he is what? Merciful and faithful to you. Isn't that awesome? Merciful and faithful to you. Don't we deserve mercy? Don't, don't we want mercy for the stuff that we do, the junk that we do, the failures? Don't we want mercy? If you don't want mercy, you need to schedule an appointment with me, and we'll talk, okay? Uh, better yet, before you come talk to me, talk to your spouse. Because maybe they're not as merciful to you because of your junk, okay? Then come talk to me, all right? And I'll tell you about how Jesus is merciful, all right? Because the reality is, is we... we we need mercy. And he's merciful to us. Let's go on now. This is so that he could make the atoning sacrifice for people. That word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Another word, another way to say it is the wrath satisfier. He satisfied God's wrath. Okay, let's stop for a moment. I want you for a moment, think about your life without Jesus. Let's say you don't trust in Jesus. Let's say you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus. Okay? How many of you had somebody do you wrong and you were royally ticked off? I don't think anybody here would be like that, would they? How many of you have been so angry 
at somebody who has done you wrong. How many of you, I mean, if you could, you would chop the legs right out from underneath them. Literally. Just give you a hatchet or a machete, and you would whack off their legs just to make them suffer. Yeah, I don't need to raise your hand. You're just relishing in that idea. Okay? All right? Because they did you wrong. They need to pay. All right? Folks, without Jesus, you and I were the objects of God's wrath because we did him wrong. We forget that. He died, he suffered, not just to break the power of Satan, not just to break the bondage of fear from you, but to make the atoning sacrifice for your sin, to satisfy God's wrath, because the stuff you do, if it wasn't for Jesus, he'd be royally ticked. We say, I'm not an axe murderer. Hey, your simple white lie is, is equal to an axe murderer. In Jesus' mind. You know what I mean? You know, I need to grasp that. See, this is how great that salvation is. Did you understand what I'm saying? He kept us from going to hell for eternity. And you don't work your way out of hell. Okay? There's no stairway to heaven. Okay? You don't work your way out of hell. Once you're there, you're there forever. Okay? Forever. So this is so that he could make the atoning sacrifice. And notice again, he's using that word, his people. Who's he talking about? He's using an intimate, possessive pronoun to describe what? His relationship with you and I. Isn't that awesome? Because he did this for what? His people. Who's his people, people? Us. Isn't that awesome? Why would we think about running away from that? That's what the author is trying to get to, the point here. He goes on. Because he was tempted and suffered, he's able to help help those who are tempted. Wow, that's just taking it one step further in this issue of the salvation you have. Because let me ask you something. How many of you have been tempted this week? All of us, right? Trust me, if you haven't been tempted today, you will be tempted. And if you'll be tempted by the, we just did this whole series, didn't we? On temptation, understanding temptation. If you need to see, if you need to see these, I'll get them for you so you can grasp it. Here's the reality. He went through what he went through so that he could help you in the midst of the stuff that you go through. Isn't that awesome? That's how great Jesus is. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is greater than Moses. What does that have to do with us? Well, we're going to see that next week.